Let us get going. So today's daf is daf Yud Zayin, page 17, in the Heilig Meseches Ksubis. And we're going to pick up two lines from the bottom of Tess Zayin, Amadez of 16b, with a beautiful, well-known Gemara. We really have a, um, a fun and uh, fantastic, um, uh, so much to learn on today's daf. So here we go. Ton Rabbanim. The rabbis learned, and so should we. How do you dance in front of the kala? And as we said last time, when you go to Chasna, what's the objective? Not to eat at the Shmorg. The objective is to be Misameach the Chasna and Kala. So, how do you dance in front of the kala to be Misameach? So, Bishamay Yomir Bishamay says as follows Top of today's daf. Kala Kemais Shehi. Bishamay says you need to be honest. You hear this? Look at Taisus. Look at the top Taisus. Top left of the page. Taisvah says, If there's any issues, keep your mouth quiet, closed, right? In other words, Beishamai says, if you don't, what this means is, you know how you dance in front of a kala and praise her? If you have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing. And, but, but don't praise her if, if, uh, with, with things that aren't necessarily true. That's Beishamai's approach, okay? So you say things as it is, but if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. Beseder, fine. That's Tysus' approach of Kala Kamei Beishamai says, don't say anything that's untrue. And, and, you know, as they say, if, uh, if um, somebody calls you up for a shidduch about someone that doesn't tell the truth, and you don't, you don't, want, you don't know what to say. So you could say, they're truly unbelievable. Yeah, the, 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 there's a way to say things, right? So they're not believable. That's it. <laughs> but they say, "Bishama says, no, don't lie, don't play games here." But listen to this. Basil Lamer Basil says, "No, Kala Noa You always say about the Kala, she is not as she is beautiful, Vachasuda, and she has a charm of goodness of Chesed on her, even if you don't think so. But the way to praise the Kala." When dancing, if I say, wow, your mom is stunning, gorgeous, incredible. Yeah, you tell the chassan, your mom has got a great catch. Bishamah says to Bissel, I don't understand. Let's say you have somebody who's lame or blind. You're going to say he got the catch of the century. The Torah says, stay far away from falsehood. If you don't think so, don't say it. Omru lahem beishel lebeishamai. Beishel says to beishamai, "You are wrong." Ledevrechem, and I'll tell you why. According to your own words, Misha lokach mekach ram nashuk. Somebody goes and they buy a car that you think is ugly. Yishabchenu be'ena ba'yegenim. You're gonna tell them, "Oh, I think your car is ugly." They like it. They like their car. What's in your business? Whether you think it's ugly? What's in your business? Whether you think it's not the it's, you know you wouldn't have spent the money on the car. So what? If they spent the money on this object, on this item, they must like it. And therefore, you would agree with me, if somebody buys something and they're excited about it, you say, oh, beautiful, enjoy, have a fun time with it, it's pretty, it's beautiful. And therefore, the Chum say from here, such a beautiful and powerful idea in how we live our lives. A person 
should mix their minds with other people. You know what this means? You have to have enough finesse to understand that people think differently, to understand the way they think, and be fine with it. You hear this? Because Beis Hillel is saying, what does it mean, daite morvim abrius? I'm not the only way to think. If you think your wife's incredible, gesund to hate. That's great. I think she's incredible in your eyes too. That's it. So you have to learn how to be ma'ur of your mind with other people. That's it. To think the way they think on those circumstances and, and, and that's the way to keep living. You don't need to be, right? You don't need to be brutally honest. Because, again, it's not about me. It's about mixing my mind with, uh, with other people. And halacha lamaisa, this is how we paskin. This is how we rule. This is the halachas. You go to a wedding and you say, right? and, and that's what we do. We paskin like this. That if somebody, if somebody purchases something, you praise it in front of them, even if you don't think. Now, there's, there's a fine line here. Because a good friend, or it, I shouldn't say good friend, it, it, it takes, it, it takes the, uh, the right type of person to be able to praise other people to, even when it's not to their detriment. Some people like, you know, they want to know like an honest opinion, but at the same time, you can't make them feel bad. So you, to an extent, you have to learn how to praise what the way they look, the way things they buy, at the same time, have enough finesse to be like, you know, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's, it, that's the right color for you. Right? How, how do I look at it? Eh, don't think that, it, you can find a better color. You can find a better uh, fit. You can find, right? There's a way to say things that, and we're obligated to find out the way to say it. But again, Bezal's not saying to lie and be like, when somebody really doesn't look good and they need your honest opinion, to just tell everybody they look great, and then they go out looking foolish. But again, you have to be more of You have to understand the line between being honest with people and at a certain point realizing, okay, this is their decision, and and uh, you know this is what makes them happy, and then I'm I'm happy that they're happy. It's good. All right, let's keep going. And this is amazing. He also Ravdimi Omar. Ravdimi came to Bavel. He said, "Hachi Mashri Kamei Let me tell you how they sing in front of a kalanar to You know what song they sing? Like this kala is beautiful without all the makeup. Yeah, sometimes I don't know. I have my own. Uh, sometimes you have family members, you have siblings, you have uh, right. They go, they get their makeup done, and they come out of that room, and you're like, "What's your name? I don't recognize you." Yeah, I don't recognize you. What, what's going? <laughs> you, you, you look better before they painted your face. Right, like, what's the deal over here? And they and they spent six hundred dollars to look like a clown, right? But but what are you supposed to say? You know, what are you supposed to say then? So again, it takes it takes finesse. But you know how they would praise a kala in Eretz Yisrael? They would say about her: she doesn't need her eye makeup, she doesn't need blush, she doesn't need any fancy schmancy makeup. In her natural state, she looks like a beautiful person, and that's really the greatest praise you can give about somebody is that. They're beautiful with who they are. They don't need all these extras to try to make it to look beautiful. When the Rabbanon gave smicha to Rav Zera, they actually used the same expression on him. Incredible. He doesn't need any makeup. His essence gives off beauty. He doesn't need anything else. There's a Misa about Rav Ruderman. When, uh, when Rabbi Hanan Wasserman came to Baltimore to collect funds. They asked Rav Rudiman 
to introduce him. I believe we shared this, this a while ago. It's worthwhile repeating. They asked Ravudiman to introduce him. So Ravudiman, what are you going to say about the, the Gadol Adar, right? So Ravudiman said, at the parlor meeting, there's something called a Shabbos Talmud Chacham and a Yomtif Talmud Chacham. What's the difference between Shabbos and Yomtif? So Yomtif is decided by Bezdin establishing when Rish Chaydash is. If Bezdin establishes Rish Chaydash Tishrei is, is on, you know, on this day, so 15 days later is going to be Sukkot. Yom Tif is dependent on whatever Klal Yisrael says, that's the day of the month. Shabbos is Shabbos automatic. Every seventh day is Shabbos, whether Bezdin declares it Shabbos or not. doesn't make enough Kamina. So Rav got up and he said like this. He said, there's a Shabbos Tamil Chacham and a Yom Tif Tamil Chacham. He said, some Tamil Chacham are Yom Tif Tamil Chacham. You know why they're a Tamil Chacham? Because Klal Yisrael says they're Tamil Chacham. Everywhere they go, psh, wow, he's got a big yeshiva, he's a big, gives a great shear. Everywhere they go, people are talking about, wow, incredible. And then there are Tamid Echamim who are Shabbos Tamid Echamim. They're a Tamid Chacham, whether or not anybody has anything nice to say about them, because they're a Tamid Chacham. That's it. You don't need people walking around saying, oh, what a great person. Their essence is a Tamid Chacham. See, Reb Ruderman said, Rabbi Chana Wasman doesn't need me to stand here and tell you all how big of a tzaddik he is. He's a Shabbos tzaddik. He's Rabbi Hanan. And that was his introduction. <laughs> you know, that was it. Like, Rabbi Hanan is Rabbi Hanan. He, he doesn't need us to, to, to say how great he is. Okay? So that's what they were saying about Rav Zera. When they gave him smicha, he doesn't need the eye makeup. He doesn't need all the extras. His essence exudes beauty. When Ravami Ravasi got smicha, they sang the following song. Anybody like these two Rabbanim, those are the right rabbis for us. We don't want anybody who's, as we call in our terms, krum. Don't give us anybody who's krum, who's got, who thinks through things in a twisted fashion. And also sarmitin. Sarmitin are the, the, the way that Rashi explained, the, the way the Mepharshim here explained is... Um, uh, a teacher who doesn't articulate the re- the learning well, the Amri law, and some say that they said people who don't fully explain the logic behind their reasoning, which v'loy min tormisin, a tormisin were beans that needed to be cooked seven times. Rashi himself says he's unsure why they would say we don't want rabbis that are these uh, that are these beans. But some of the Mepharshim explain it to mean the reason why we're using Tormisin is because since it takes seven times to, to cook it before it gives off a nice flavor, and until then, it's uh, something that nobody wants to eat. That's what it means, Lemon Tormisin. You know, Baruch Hashem, we have Rabbonim, these, this Ravami and Ravasi, that don't give off any bitterness, or call it negativity or bitterness, uh, before getting to the goodness. When Rabbi Vo would go from the Masifta, from his, nowadays Masifta, like a high school, from his yeshiva, to the Caesar. Now he was very well connected to the Caesar. He was a leading political figure in the Jewish community. So whenever he would go to the Caesar's house, Nafkan Amhasa the Bekesar, the servants of Caesar would come greet him, the Ape, into his face, and they would sing to Rabbi Avohu, Rabba the Ame, this Rebbe of his nation, Umidabarna Lu Umase, and a, um, a, um, a ruler 
over his ama, over his people. Butsina dinahira, he's lit like a candle. Berich masyon lishlam, may your coming to Caesar's palace be done with shalom, be done in peace. Okay, so again, you see another uh, another symbol of expression, a nice thing that you could si- that you could sing or say about somebody. Amru alav al Rabbi Huda bar They said about Rabbi Huda, the son of Rabbi Loi, shahaya naitel bad shal hadas. He would take a, a stem of hadasim umerakid lefnei akala and dance in front of akala veoimer. And this is where this expression comes from. Yeah, he would take a myrtle branch and he would say, the kala here is, um, is uh, beautiful. Yeah, kala here is beautiful, like a hadas. He would dance while holding three hadasim. Omar of Zira Vizira says, Kamachsif Lon Saba. He says that this elderly Rav is it's it's not befitting of him to do that. You hear this? So like this is create the scene. You have you ever had a wedding and like people want you to dance in the middle? No, go you go dance, you go dance, you go dance. Like, yeah, not for me. You know, let, let, let other people uh, do it. Feel a little foolish to go do that mitzvah. So he felt that um, Reb Zera felt that Reb Shmuel by Reb Yitzchak dancing with these uh, myrtle branches wasn't befitting of his covet. When Reb Shmuel Yitzchak passed away, um, there was a tremendous pillar of fire that came down to show how great he was that divided him from everybody else. Ugumiri. And we learned, it's been taught to us, This separation only applies to one or two people in the generation. And Omar Rav Zera, Rav Zera says, when he saw this kavod happen to, um, uh, to Rav Shmuel Bar of Yitzchak, he said, Ahanya leshutisei lesaba. The reason why he was zochet to have a pillar of fire it act, uh, is because of the benefit that he received by dancing with the hadasim. Some say he was referring to the, the, the shtos, the foolishness of of um, Yitzchak. The opinion, the shita of Reb Shmuel Bar Yitzchak. So you see that ultimately Reb Zera backed out. And he said, you know what? Sometimes in order to become great, you have to do things that, other, that perhaps other people think is beneath your, beneath your covet. If you're not willing to go dance with a, with a lebedekite, with a geshmak at a chasna because it's pasnished, and you can't lose yourself in the simcha and the dancing and the ketzam rakhtan of neakala, and people think it looks silly, you can't do that. It, that itself is a little felt. It's like a little loss. Rabzera ultimately came around to realize that it was exactly Roshmol Bar Yitzchak's willingness to not care about what anybody thinks and ultimately just be misameach the chosen and kala. That's what separated him from the other greatest leaders of the generation and lifted up to a much higher madrega. Mamish incredible. Rav Acha Markivla Kafte Marakid. Rav Acha would pick up the kala and put her on his shoulder. 
Amri the Rabbanon, the Rabbanon said, Yeshemer Nagia, Anan Mahu Lemevarachi, you're, you're a rav. What are you doing picking up a kala and putting her on your shoulder? Ravacha, we don't understand what's happening here. Omar Luhu, Ravacha said back, if the, if the kala to you would look like a, you would treat her like a, a wooden beam that you're just carrying something else, then you'd also be allowed to do this. The Eloi, however, if you're not capable of uh, viewing it like a beam, then... Uh, it, then it, uh, it it would not be allowed. Okay. Am Rosh Hashanah Nachmani, Am Rabbi Yainasan. Rosh Hashanah Nachmani says in the name of Rabbi Yainasan, Mutulis Takav of Nekala Kol Shiva. You're allowed to look at the kala and notice her beauty during Shavu Brachos. Kedai Lachava Ubaila. In order to make her beloved to her husband, Velasochis Akavase. This is not the halacha. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean to look at the kala in an inappropriate way. What it's referring to is, in general, it's not appropriate for a man to walk over to another man and be like, oh, I think your wife's really cute. That's, a, that's, a, that's an inappropriate uh, statement, okay? But during Sheva Brachas, Rav Shobar Nachmeni quotes Rabbi Yenison to say that after somebody gets married and you want to be mechavev them to each other, you want to make them love each other, then it is it actually would be appropriate. Now, we don't pass him like this, but it would be appropriate to say, to, uh, to walk over and say, hey, you should know you got a good catch. You got a good catch. Now, which in general is like, hey, why is it your business? Like, stay out of my relationship. <laughs> What's it? But in the initial stage, you'd be like, oh, you know, your mom is your lucky guy. I'm so happy for you. So he says that that type of thing would be, would be uh, proper in order to make them uh, grow fond feelings on each other. But ultimately, it seems the Gemara says even that's too dangerous. And even that's inappropriate. Bottom line is, that's not the halacha. Tana Rabbana, the rabbis learned, that's why the rabbis, my beer, we move the maze from in front of a kala. Okay. Which means, if there's a levaya, and there's also a wedding taking place, the wedding overrides the levaya. So if let's say there's a wedding called for the same time as a levaya in a shul, a hall, a street, whatever. So the, the, um, the the wedding will get first dibs. The zevazat melafnei melech but we would push off both a wedding and a levaya in front in order to honor a Jewish king who's coming to that lo- location. But Agripas was once going to a place where there's going to be a wedding, and he made sure not to interrupt the wedding and uh, you know kind of make it wait. And the Chachamim praised him. Says the Gemara, Shibchul. What do you mean they praised him? Mechlal the Shapir of it. If they praised him, that means he was being a nice guy. He's doing the right thing. Is, is he allowed to do that though? Even according to the opinion that a leader of Klal Yisrael, who's Michael, who forgives on his covet, he's allowed to do that. A king is not allowed to forgive his covet. This is incredible. There are certain positions... And it's so important to know. There are certain positions where if you're in that position, you have to realize it's not about you anymore. It's about the position. And since it's about the position, who are you to be Michael on that position? If you're the king, even if you want to be nice, you can't, the, the kingship itself demands precedent. Precedence. You go first. 
That's it. A melech cannot be meichel on his covet. Ain't quite the melech. Damar mar, sign tosim alecha melech. You should appoint a king over you. Shet the hey a mascha alav, which means the ema of the king, the fear of the king, the awe of the king has to be on you. So why is Agrippas, who pushed aside his covet for the wedding, why is he considered uh, to have done the right thing? Answers the Gemara, Proshas Drachem Have. Yeah, Proshas Drachem means, ready? It was a fork in the road. Vosmeint. He came to, Agrippas came to a fork in the road. There was a wedding to the right. He wanted to go to the right. But since he saw the wedding, he went to the left. Which means people didn't notice that he was foregoing the honor of the kingship. They, it looked like he wanted to make a left anyway. Why did he make it look like that? That doesn't demean the covet of the kingship. He made it, but at the same time, he, made, he ultimately made sure not to interrupt the wedding, at the same time, not ruining the, uh, the mechila of, of the malchus. Which is uh, also, it takes thoughtfulness, it takes foresight, and uh, you got a person needs to be ready for that to be able to you know to to be able to live their life in uh, in in such a fashion. So interestingly, even though you're not allowed to be Michael on particular things, you're still allowed to be a mensch and make it look like you know if you could make things work out for other people without it impacting the position of uh, of being melech, it would be the proper thing to uh, to follow those midas. Okay, Tana Rabban. The rabbis learned, and so should we. A person should close their sfarim to go join in a leviya. And also for the mitzvah of okay, which means we stop learning Torah in order to take part in the mitzvah of being and when's this true that we stop learning Torah for a Leviathan for a wedding? When there's not enough people to give honor to the one who passed away, or not enough people to be misameach at the wedding. Which means, if me being at the wedding is just going to add one more body, and nobody's really going to notice that I'm there anyway, so then... There's no obligation to stop learning Torah. If there's enough people there that I'm not really needed at the Leviah, it's not, it's not going to make much of a difference. Or at the Chasna, then you don't need to stop uh, learning Torah. Now, it doesn't mean you can't. It just means there's no Chiv. Otherwise, there's a Chiv. If you hear of a wedding where there, there's, there's, push it, there's a snowstorm, there's not going to be enough guests at the wedding, or they don't know anybody, they're going to have four or five people there, and they need people, there's no mitzvah to go to night seder. You go to the wedding. You take care, you, you take care of that uh, obligation. Now it says, that, yeah, go ahead. Is there an afkamina? Let's say, if you show up at a wedding, it's going to give much more simcha to the chosen and kala versus a stam guy. Yeah. So, so, that, so that might be your needed. That might be considered not cold. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's see here. It says more of a kama cold sarkai. What's considered cold sarkai? You know, according enough kavod that's necessary. Amr Shmuel Barini Mishmei Rav Tracer Alfe Gavre Yehidis Twelve Thousand Men Vishisa Alfe Shipiri and Six Thousand with Shifras. Now we'll see soon whether it means twelve, eighteen thousand total, or twelve thousand and six thousand among them. Some say trees of Gavi, mean now you see self issue part. See, there's 12,000 plus 6,000. This is at a Leviah. Or it means 
12,000 total, 6,000 of them with, uh, with shifres. And they would blow the shifer during, uh, during Levaya in order to make it more of a spectacle, more of a to-do, and that would bring, make people more aware of the deceased, and it would bring more covet, it would bring more honor to the deceased. Ula Amar Ula says, Kegoyin, he says, if you have enough people who could, when standing together, they go from the from the end of the town to the cemetery. He says, no. He argues. He says, every Jew is incredible. Every Jew is a safer Torah. And guess what? The same way the Torah was given. That's how the Torah is taken back. The same way there were 600,000 men at Matan Torah between the age of 20 and 60. So too, when a Sefer Torah is being taken out to be buried, when you, uh, a Yid is being taken out to be buried, anything less than 600,000 is considered a lack of covet and you stop learning Torah to go join in. This is specific to somebody who learned Torah and taught Torah to the public. Okay? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Finally, Leman de Karvitani. This is talking about somebody who learned Chomish, Vitani, and also learned Mishnah. Top of, top of Ahmed Bez, Avalaman de Masne, but somebody who taught Torah, Lesle Shiura. There's no maximum, there's no upper limit. So even if you have 600,000, you stop learning. And you go attend the Leviah. Incredible. Okay. Two dots. Top of Amun base. The Mishnah said, their witnesses that she went out with these clothing of Besulim. Right? Well, Besulais. The clothing that showed virginity. Mahinuma, what is this? It's kind of like a wreath. It's around... Uh, like a round um, crown made out of hadasim. Rabbi Yechonomar krisa diminamna ba kalta. It's a um, it is a covering of the face that <laughs> uh, um, kind of blocks her, so people can't see when she's tired and she's clothing her eye, cl- closing her eyes. <laughs> and you say a veil is you can't see her. It's also helpful where. <laughs> You can't see her because she wants to take a, a little drimmel, you know, uh, take a little bit uh, of a nap. But apparently when she was tired, she would cover herself, uh, cover herself with that. This was done, by, bottom line is, this was done by a, a wedding for a basula, wasn't done for a bula. So if you have witnesses that she had this at her wedding, that'll be enough proof that her ksuba has a value of 200 zuz. Okay. Rabbi Yechman Eimer, Rabbi says, not only would it work if you have witnesses about the hinuma, but he says... The way to, even if she has witnesses that uh, they gave out the roasted kernels, which was done by a basula, that also would suffice to give her a ksub of 200. Says the Gemara, Tanabi Yehudaraya, we learned in Yehuda this would be a proof, because this was a minigdu for a basula. What about in Bava? In Bava. In other words, in Eretz Yisrael, I'm sorry, yeah, in, in Yehuda. So, for a basul, they'd give out these roasted kernels. In Bavel, though, they didn't have this minuk. So how would you know, what would you look for Adam to tell us to know that she was a basula at the time of marriage? Amar Rav, Rav says, 
Dardugi de Mishcha Aresha de Rabbanon. If they would put oil on the heads of the Rabbanon. Okay. Why? Kihoda Hume Rabbanon. There was a story with one of the young Rabbanim, the Asikle Lebre, Be Rabba Barula. He made a Shidduch, he was the Shadchin between, and he, he, he uh, set up a match with his son and, um, and uh, a, a girl from Rabba Barula's house. Ramila Rabba Barula, Yasek Lebre, Be Omer Abon, or was the vice versa, was his daughter. The Dardeg Mishcha Arej Darabon, Bishas Maisa. And at the wedding, apparently, the, the way to show extreme joy on this basula getting married is they put some special oils, they massaged some special oils onto the hair of the, um, of the Rabbanon. Okay. And apparently that kind of became like the thing to do when a, a basula would get married. Says the Gemara, what would they do when a, when a, a non-basula got married? Armaltamai, what happened uh, if somebody was a widow? Who was remarrying? What would they do unique at that wedding? Tana Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef taught us our Malta less lucky Sunday. In a uh, in Yehuda, at least they would not give out the toasted kernels. Okay, and that was a sign of uh, of not being a basula. Now, what about in Bavel? The Gemara leaves that out. The Gemara doesn't uh, doesn't tell us. Fine. Here we go. Weiter. Next two dots. The Mishnah says, Rabbi Yeshua admits. Remember, we had this strange expression. Again, let's remind ourselves. The Mishnah, beginning of our parak, started out with the conversation about how we know if somebody, if a woman is Zochet to a Ksuba of 200. She had a Ksuba, it got lost, let's say, and she's claiming it was usually 200. The husband says it wasn't, it was 100. And the Mishnah said she could bring proof that uh, if she could bring proof with witnesses that there was there was toasted kernels at her wedding, or she could prove that she walked away, or that she had this special veil at her wedding, then she'll still get a, a two hundred ksuba because that means it was a, a wedding of a of a besula. Then the Mishnah went weiter and it said, Rabbi Shua admits if somebody says to his friend, "Oh, you should know, I bought this field from your father," that he doesn't need to prove that it was actually bought. Because Pesha Osar, Pesha Hitter. The child never knew that it was his father's originally. So the same mouth that's saying, I bought it from your father, is telling me it's his, so we're, we're going to trust him. That's what we're going on right now, says the Gemara. The listening, Why didn't we learn in the Mishnah, Rabbi Shua will admit, in a case where somebody says, why do you have to say the field was your father's? Why doesn't he, what's wrong if he says to somebody, you know, this field was yours, but I bought it from you. Also, Pesha Asar Pesha Hitter. And it's even a bigger Chiddush. So why don't we use the bigger Chiddush? Okay. Bari, bari. Huh? Does it be a Bari Bari? You buy, I say I bought it, you say no, you didn't. Okay, well, let's see, let, let's see. Good, so let's see what the case is. Let's see what the case is, all right? Um, so the Gemara says, Mishum the because if it would be purchasing from the guy himself, if you're claiming you bought it from the guy himself, then we uh, we'd have an issue with the safe of the Mishnah. Why? The safe says, If there are Adim, if let's say the son could produce witnesses saying that it's his, and the guy who says 
in response to the testimony, says, what do you mean it's his? I bought it from him, then, he's not believed. Now, what are we talking about over here? What's the case? If the guy already lived there for three years, he says, I have a chazaka on the field, and we know that chazal teach us, once somebody lived there for three years, so you're going to assume it's his unless somebody could prove otherwise. Why don't we trust the guy with the field? He has a chazaka. The guy, you have Adam saying that, that this guy owned it five years ago. But he sold it to me. Just because you own something five years ago means you own it forever? No. There's transaction. Things move around hand to hand. It's obvious. I'm sorry. And if he didn't live there for three years, it's, it's simple that we're not going to, uh, we're not going to trust him. So says the Gemara, since you're not going to find a hechi dummy, you're not, you're not going to find a situation that the Tana could have taught this halacha, so he chose to say about the father. Because by mentioning the father's case, you have this added halacha that you could throw in. Says the Gemara, one second, even when he claims that I bought it from your father, why don't we say, if the guy's already lived there for three years, you should believe it, then we know for sure he's believed. And if he hasn't lived there for three years, he's not believed till it's proven. It makes sense if you say the case was where he bought it from the father, that was his claim. So the end of the Mishnah will work out. That listen, the guy lived there for three years. But what happened? The father who he's claiming to have bought it from died a year ago. So two years of living there, the father was alive. This last year was the son. And therefore, what's happening here? You have somebody living on the field. They've established a chazaka. Nobody's come to claim the land. Yet, he hasn't really um, created a chazaka to be believed that he bought the field. Because there's no specific person to create that chazaka to. Uchtervuna, as following the Allah of Ravuna, Dhamma Ravuna, Ain Machzika Minakse Katan. We're assuming now where the son was a katan, and there's no chazaka on the property of a katan, Afilu Higdil. Even if he became even if he became a gadol afterwards. So you see from here, okay, that if we're talking about a case where somebody's saying, I bought it from uh, I, I bought it from your father, okay, so then we have a taina. However, if we're gonna be talking about a case where a guy says, I bought it from you. So then what do you, what's this last halacha? Why don't we believe him? If he says, uh, um, the, the, the year, why don't we believe him if the years of Chazaka are completed? So the Gemara says, So you're telling me Ravuna just wants to teach us the Chiddush of our Mishnah? from the Mishnah, okay? Which means the Mishnah doesn't say specifically that um, uh, a case where you're, whether or not you could create a chazaka on the property of a katan. So this lemaisa in such a case, a chazaka wouldn't be valid. And how would Ravuna know this halacha by looking at the Mishnah? And since he looked at the Mishnah, so he says, by the way, this is what you can be medayik for the Mishnah. If you say more, if one, you could say, afilu higdil kamash malan, that Ravuna wants to tell us a chiddush, that if let's say you own a field, you've been on, you've been on the land for three years. Two years was during the father. The third year was for the son, but the son is now a gadol, then you do have a chazaka. Maybe this is the added chiddush of Ravuna.
Okay, bottom line is, we had a question. And the question was, why did our Mishnah give a case of Maidah Rabbi Yeshua? That if somebody says to somebody else, I bought it from your father, <clears throat> then he's believed, because Pesha Pesha hit there. So we had a question, why don't you say I bought it from you? So we give a number of answers. We have a, a couple answers as to why the case of buying it from the father would, be, would actually be the bigger Chiddush. And there's more to learn from that. Fine. Says the Gemara, but still, I could have given an easier case. Velisni bididei. Why don't we talk, why don't we still give a case where somebody says to his friend, I bought this field from you. Velukma, and that case is, kigain, for example, she'achola shtayim b'fanov v'achashle b'fanov. Where, the only time you have a chazaka for living somewhere for three years is when nobody protested you living on that land for three years. However, let's say the guy who owned the field wasn't around to protest. So then do we say the three-year living creates a chazaka or not? So the Gemara is now under the assumption that what about if you would, ha- that if you would have a case where you say, I bought this from you and it's mine. Okay, well... How long you lived there? Three years. Well, guess what? Only for two of those years was the, was the guy you're claiming to have bought it from around. And in the third year, he was not there. Uh, for example, he had to run away somewhere. So the, 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 the authorities were chasing him. Some mobsters were out to get him, whatever. So he couldn't protest in that third year. So is there a chazaka? No. Because the third year of, the, of him living there doesn't establish a chazaka because there's nobody, there's nobody who's able to protest. So the Gemara is based back to our question. Why don't we give this case instead of the case of the father where we're going to say, even in such a case, we trust the purchaser because Pesha Asar Pesha Hitter. So the Gemara says, one second, in this third year, why did the original owner run away? Barach Machmas Mai. Why would he have run away? If he's running away because he's, he's running for the hills, he's scared for his life. Somebody's trying to kill him. Okay. So the guy living there right now, clearly, everybody's going to be in agreement, does not have a chazaka. There's no chazaka. I'll tell you why. Let's say, I lived there for three years. You never said anything. I was running for my life. How am I supposed to say anything? So for sure, there's no chazaka. That's clear. Let's say the third year, the guy had to leave town. You know why? The case Rashi gives is, he owed money to people. And these people kept asking him to pay back and he just needed a break. So he moved somewhere else to get a little, little bit of space. To go earn money, to be able to pay the guy back eventually, let's say. So he didn't leave town because he was scared for his life. He left because uh, financially he had to leave town for a year. So So we should have said, even in your other city that you ran to, you could have created a machot. The kaimalon, because we've established the halacha, even if you're not around, you could send him a note or you could send a message to Bezdin in that third year stating, I, Yankel, own this field. I know Beryl is living on the field. And I, Yankel, am protesting. I'm out of town, so I'm protesting, you know, with this letter. And why didn't you do that? There's no excuse. So under those circumstances, we'll say certainly there is 
a chazaka. Right? You understand why? That guy's going to have a three-year chazaka. Two years because the owner was there with him and he could have said something. The third year, he could have wrote a letter. He could have told somebody something and he didn't. So there's certainly a chazaka. That's not. Because we learned in a mission. Now we're going to prove that you could make a macha from far away. There's three different unique areas in Eretz Yisrael when a, uh, about that, that have unique halachas as far as establishing a chazaka. Yehuda, one area is Yehuda, the Eber Hayardain, the other side of the Jordan River, the Hagalil, and the Galil. Each one of these have different ways to establish Chazaka over land. Okay? And here we go. Hayabi Yehuda, the Hichzik Begalil. If let's say the owner was in Yehuda, and then somebody starts living on his land in the Galil, Begalil, or, or he's in the Galil, and somebody's living on his land in Yehuda. Eino chazaka. That's not called a chazaka. Okay? Why? Why isn't it called a chazaka? Because they had different rulers. And it wasn't so easy to get information or even travelers to pass on word from one area to another. So just because you lived in that property, but I'm now coming from a different land where it was hard for me to get the word to you, so you can't say that it took me too long to protest. You don't, you don't have a strong chazaka yet. Because again, when you need a chazaka, when the owner couldn't protest, it didn't. Over here, I couldn't protest. Fine. When's the three-year chazaka? When you were in the same country, under the same rulership. Then, if nothing was said, you have a three-year chazaka. And we learned about this. What is the Tanakhama... Um, uh, what does Tanakh hold? That, that, that a macha'a, a protest from long distance, is not called a, uh, is a macha'a, even if he's in Yehuda, the other one's in the Galil, the macha'a should have worked. Okay? Now, if the macha'a should have worked, here's the, here's the deal. Listen closely. This is the chap. Here's the whole chap. If I could have protested in Yehuda from long distance and gone to Bezdin in Yehuda and said, by the way, there's somebody who's living on my land in the Galil. I don't want him there. Then even when I get back to the Galil, the guy could say to me, why didn't you protest in Yehuda? What took you so long? You could have walked into Bezdin within three years. A macha shalai b'fanav, it's a valid macha. What are you doing? Keeping your mouth shut. You should have said something to Bezdin over there. I, you couldn't come back here. You didn't need to come back here. A macha shalai b'fanav, is a valid macha. It's a good claim on behalf of the guy living on the land. You understand? If I'm allowed to protest long distance, so you should have done that. And if we hold, that a long distance is not considered a proper protest. Why do you got to say, if one's in Yehuda and one's in the Galil, even if I'm in Yehuda and you're in Yehuda, it's not going to work unless I'm right there. So what difference does it make if you're in the same country or a different country? Either way, I could say, I wasn't there. I, w- I wasn't there to protest. What do you want from me? You have to be there, and I wasn't there. So explains, Really we hold that you're, you're able to protest from long distance. However, our Mishnah was taught at a time where there was Cherem. Cherem means 
complete separation between the areas. And therefore, no matter what I would have, between Yehuda and the Galil, let's say, even no matter what I would have said in Yehuda, there's no way for that word ever to get back to the Galil. There's no way. And therefore, what's the guy going to say? Oh, you should have done something. It wouldn't have helped. What does it help me to go to a place in Yehuda or make a machah from Yehuda or tell somebody? It wouldn't have done anything. We were so divided and so separated, like in North Korea. The word ain't getting out. So it wouldn't, there it wouldn't have made enough kamina. Since the word, word would have gotten out, you're chazaka. You could live on my land for 18 years. That's never a real chazaka. Because I never really had a chance to protest it. And what's unique about Yehuda and Galil in particular, that we're saying, oh, in these, you know, in, in these cases, um, you know, if, you, uh, if he didn't protest, it's not considered a, a valid chazaka because it wasn't possible. Top of tomorrow's dafs, the Gemara explains, the stam Yehuda v'galil kishas cherum dama. In general, stam, even without unique sets of circumstances, Yehuda and, and Galil, stamazai, are always called shas cherum, always called completely divided. And therefore, since the original owner <clears throat> never really has a chance to make a macha, about something happening in the other side, either in the Galil or in Yehuda, the guy living there now can never claim a, uh, a, a true chazaka. The bottom line is, we learn from, um, the bottom line is, we learn from the Mishnah, that if somebody makes a macha, shaloi b'fanav, macha shaloi b'fanav, usually is going to be considered a valid macha. It does not need to be mamish b'fanav. Okay. We're going to hold it over here for today, Bez Hashem, and uh, tomorrow we'll pick up 9.30 a.m. with the listening. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, everybody. Agitavach!